As you dive into this teaching from High Point Church, we pray that it will help you grow in your faith as you believe in, belong to, and become more like Jesus. If these messages bless you, would you consider giving back in support of this ministry? You can give and learn more about High Point at www.highpoint.church. I want to start out on this Father's Day with the things that my dad said to me that I said that I would never say to my kids. And I say them, and I say them, and I say them. Eight things, or no, we'll check that, it's seven things. Seven things that your dad said that you said you'd never say. The number seven is this. If so-and-so jumped off a bridge, would you jump off a bridge too? Now, how many dads, just be honest with me, you said that, one of them is raising right now, I just said it today. Okay, number six. Close the door where you're born in a barn. Now, I mean, what kid is born in a barn these days? I mean, this is just like, why are we saying these things? How about number five? I heard this one. Bill, you know, you're spending, you're, oh, you got this, and don't you like this nice jacket I got for Father's Day? And money doesn't grow on trees, you know. Number four. When I was your age, I had to, and then what do we do? We put this ridiculously over-exaggerated thing. I used to walk 10 miles. I used to do this, and I would milk the cow before I went to school. And I mean, what is going on here? And Number three, this is the funniest one. Something happens, you got a little problem, and you're looking at your dad, and your your, your tears are coming out. You'll live. And then, where did this come from? Anybody have a dad say this? Just rub a little dirt in it, you'll be fine. I mean, are you kidding me? Take some dirt off the ground in an open wound. I mean, you could go to jail for abuse if you do that to your kid today. My dad did it to me, and dang it, I'm doing it to my kids. That's how it works. Number two, how about this one? They're in the back seat, and you're just like, stop crying, or I'm going to climb back there, and I'll give you something to cry about. And, and then the ultimate is, I'm going to pull this car over. <laughs> and then you don't do it. Or I remember this one time. Oh, I, I don't have time for all that, but I pulled the car over. I'm like, you kidding? And then my favorite, my personal favorite, I said it yesterday because I said so. That's just it. That's the end of the word. That's like the Lord has spoken in dad talk. (laughs) Because I said so, that ends everything. Well, I'm glad we can have some fun and thankful for those joining us online on this special weekend. Uh, These are the things that I know I've said, and I think some of you dads are saying them still, and see how I took myself out of that. And, And so it got me thinking... What are the things that us dads should say to our kids? What would be some things that we ought to do? But then I started thinking, let's widen the scope. And how about this? What are the things that we want to pass on to the next generation? Not just the dads in the room. I'm talking about all of us as we have a responsibility with the next generation that's coming up. What are the things that we should say? What are the things that we need to band together to pass on? Because it takes a village to raise a kid. Have you heard that? It takes a village to raise a kid. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're part of the village. I'm serious because you are. Like each of us has to take ownership and responsibility. So I want to talk to the dads. I want to talk to all of us because we all got to band together. 
So open your Bibles if you have one to Proverbs chapter 22. This is a verse we're gonna look at, Proverbs 22, six, that is oftentimes it's written specifically to parents, but I wanna widen the scope and I'm gonna give you what I'm calling straight from the verse, or should I say straight from the proverb, I wanna give you five divine deposits that each of us needs to make. We gotta band together today. We gotta make these deposits in the next generation. Now, four of them are gonna come straight from the phrases of this verse, and then one of them I'm gonna give you that's in the proverb. So let's begin by reading the proverb in a couple different translations, verse six specifically. This is the ESV, this is the one that I read from. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. So there's misunderstanding. What does that mean? Well, how about this version, NLT. New Living Translation, direct your child onto the right path. I like that. And when they're older, they will not leave it. And then here's from the message. This isn't really a translation more so than it's Eugene Peterson just riffing on what the Old Testament said. But he says it like this. Point your kids in the right direction. When they're old, they won't be lost. So let's take a look at each of these phrases. The first one is this, that we would train our kids. So we want to deposit godly wisdom into the next generation. That's our responsibility. That's our job. Godly wisdom. Remember, the book of Proverbs, we learned this last week, that this book, it's 125 times more than that. It talks about wisdom. Today's message is about what are we going to pass down? Well, we want to pass down godly wisdom. But this phrase, train your child, it's an interesting one. Train up a child. And if you double click on that word train in the Hebrew language, it's only used five times in the whole Old Testament. You only see it five times. And four of those times, it's used specifically. That means every other time besides here, it talks about dedicating something, either it's a house or it's an, uh, a building or it's the, an altar. It, it comes from the word Hanukkah, which is this idea of dedicating an altar or dedicating the walls of Jerusalem. So it's a very interesting term. So train up a child means that we would dedicate or consecrate that child first and foremost to who? Well, the Old Testament talks about Hannah dedicated her child to the Lord. So we need to start, dads, moms, all of us, dedicating our children to the Lord. And so that's why we do what we call parent-child dedications around here. So what happens when a child is born is they come up and the parents come with the child and they dedicate that child to the Lord. And we say a couple different things. Pastor Craig and his wife are always up here, Camille, and, and they we're dedicating the kids to the Lord. And that's an admission that what? That we can't do this, that God's gotta do it through us. It isn't as much for the child, like, oh, this is how they get to heaven. No, that's not how they get to heaven. That's nowhere in the Bible. This is just us creating an environment where we train them and deposit godly wisdom so they'll make the decision to follow God themselves. And so we say it like this. We say, well, um, we ask the parent, are you, are you willing to train your child in the knowledge, the grace, and the strength of the Lord Jesus Christ? And they say, I will. But don't miss it. As they're dedicating the child to the Lord, we then stand everybody up. And if you've ever been part of this, you, people come up front and they pray. And what do we do? We say, we're going to help them. We have children's ministry and student ministry that comes alongside of parents for the mutual vision of maturity in Christ, that we want to help you and your family to raise your kids to honor and live for God. 
And so that's what it looks like to dedicate. I remember when Jody and I dedicated all three of our girls and it was an admission that I can't do this, man. I need some help. Any parent agree? We need help from God. We need help from each other. And so that's what it looks like to dedicate a child. That's what it means to train them. It's this idea of dedication that we would train up a child. Now that verse, that word specifically, it can also mean to hedge in. So it's this idea of creating a boundary. So it's this idea that what? That I'm not only going to dedicate my child, I'm going to train them by hedging them in, so to speak, or creating some boundaries for them so that they can grow. Two different meanings in this one Hebrew word. And so our responsibility is to paint the lines, so to speak, not move the goalposts. Paint the lines for your kids so that they can grow. I remember when I was playing uh, basketball in high school and my coach had a rule. And the rule was, if you miss the bus for an away game, guess what? You're not playing. You're not going to play. You're not going to play the next game, whatever it is. So I get, I wake up. It was my pregame ritual to take a nap. I wake up. I look at my clock and I'm like, oh my gosh, I missed the bus. So my mom drives me to Painesville Harvey and I beat the bus. And so I'm there, I, I got my stuff, and I'm like, coach, I'm, I'm here. And he's like, you're not playing, this is the game. You're, you're not, and I said, whoa, 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 I'm here. And so I didn't think he was gonna do it. I'm like, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm Ron Zappia, man. I'm your best chance at winning this game. <laughs> A little bit arrogant there, I will admit that. And, 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 and first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, I'm like, there's no way he's gonna bench me the whole game. I mean, look at the score. He, he never put me in. What was he doing? He was teaching me a lesson, and he was teaching everybody else a lesson. And I will say this, that I never missed another game in high school or college because there was a boundary that was created. And so Henry Cloud has helped Jody and I um, with creating boundaries through one of his books. He writes a book to adults about boundaries to help us, but he also writes a book uh, to, ki uh, to parents for kids. Let me share a couple quotes that have been really helpful for us. He calls them training moments. And so the idea, he says, training moments occur when both parents and children do their jobs. So what's the parent's job? Well, the parent's job is to make the rule. But then I love this. The child's job is to break the rule. Isn't that true? It's just like, we're, well, you're not, no, they're gonna break the rule. So then the parent then corrects and discipline. The child breaks the rule again. How many parents have been in that? And, yep. and then what happens? The, the, the parent manages the consequences and empathy that then turn the rule into reality and internal structure for the child. Yeah, but you don't know my kid. I mean, they throw a temper tantrum. Well, he talks about that. How about this next quote? Other children communicate with actions such as temper tantrums, yelling, name calling, and run away. Okay, raise your hand if you got one of those on the third floor. Just kidding. I was kidding. <laughs> the moms were like, we got that. Okay, for the kids in the service, you raise your hand if your dad's like that. He's a crier and what? Very good. Thanks for your honesty. Okay, but the trick, the trick is to disallow this form of expression and encourage verbal communication. It sounds so easy, but it's so hard. Because why? He says, I want to know what you are feeling. That's what we want from our kids, but I want, to, I want to hear you tell me instead of show me. So what's going on? Verbalize. 
And then um, one more quote from Henry Cloud. I think it's really helpful in this resource, Boundaries with Kids. He says, children raised with good boundaries, they learn that they're not only responsible for their lives, but also free to live their lives in any way they choose. As long as they take responsibility for their choices, that's the key. For the responsible adult, man, the sky's the limit. So our job is to train up a child to deposit godly wisdom to dedicate them to the Lord because they're not yours. They're his. You got them on consignment, man. That's a little bit nice to think it's God's problem, not mine. (laughs) But in fairness, you just have them for a specific time to prepare them for the choices that they're going to make. Second divine deposit that not just dads, not just parents, man, we got to do this for the kids in our neighborhood. We got to do these to kids. Maybe you have, you're, you have an influence as you're coaching your kid's team or a team, or maybe it's kids that you know and kids in our church. Well, we've got to do this. We've got to inspire them. So we got to despire, deposit inspiring vision in the next generation. Man, we got to just speak some vision into them. Train up a child in the way that he or she is to go. Let's look at that phrase in the way they are to go. It comes from a Hebrew idiom, meaning in accordance with. It literally means, if you got a study Bible, you'll see it says, in the mouth of his way, or in the mouth of her way. You're like, what does that mean? Well, that's the idea that it's the beginning, it's the start. So we're to train up a child in the way, it all hinges upon how you define the word way. Is it referring to a specific way? The way? I won't take a vote, but how many of us would raise our hands, don't do it, but yeah, it's talking about the way, the way that they ought to go. That's the path. Sometimes, though, what happens to the parent is it's the way you wish you would have went or the way you want them to go. That's too literal of a translation. The second option, which we're all going to raise our hands to, is that it's interpreted as a way, a way for the child to go. This is what hinges the whole verse, is a way, a way that they're given passion and gift and wiring, the way that they should go. It's not a specific individual, only one path you wish you would have chosen. No, it's the way that God designed them. Ron, how do you know that? Well, the same word is used in Proverbs chapter 30, and it talks about, I'll show you a picture, it talks about the way that an eagle flies. And that what? That this an eagle is flying because that's what it was created to do. That's what it was designed to do, that that we're to foster an environment for our kids that, that they can fly. It also gives a picture, you'll love this one, it talks about a snake, the way that a snake sits on a rock and and the way that a snake, what slithers, and that the snake is just being doing what it's naturally supposed to do by nature. And this resembles some of our kids, as a matter of fact, that fangs, but <laughs> next it pictures a boat. So remember, we're talking about this word way. What does it really mean? Well, just like a boat, what it, 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 it gets wind and it sails, and that word is used of a boat that's what? That's sailing, and It's off to a destination. It's doing what it was designed and made to do. And that's the hope for our kids, that they would do what they were designed to do, that we would inspire vision into them. Remember when my three girls were small and in the Zappy house, 
I mean, I used to, on Saturdays, you'll find this funny, probably apropos, I I used to take them to play basketball in the morning. So I'd take all three girls and I'd take them and I'd run them through these training drills. And so for about an hour and a half, and you say, that sounds like you were making them go in your way. Well, just hold on for a moment. I knew they were going to be tall. (laughs) And, um, you know, their last name is Zappia. And a kid of mine's going to know how to make an opposite-handed layup, okay? That's a really important thing in this in my home. Um, I'm working on the son-in-laws now. They're not doing as well as the girls have done in the past. But in all seriousness, it was an opportunity to me to invest in them. And, and then we would do this. We just got to breakfast after. And, and I would just take one verse. And we just, I just teach them one verse. And I'm telling you, these are some of the most fun memories for me as a kid just to teach them a verse and to get to know them. And, you know, the truth is some kids are more artistic and some kids are more athletic and some kids, they're more academic. They're all wired a certain way. And, and we as parents, we're, we're just supposed to do what? We're to pour the gas, pour the fuel. We're just to help them to find the way that God has designed them. Not the way, a way that matches how they were lined up and created to be. I love the um, amplified version because they say it like this. They say, train up a child in the way he or she should go and in keeping with his individual gift or bent. And when he is old, he won't depart from it. So we as parents need to do what? We need to not push. We need to help our kids. We need to curate an environment. We need to cultivate an environment so that we can culminate the vision that God has for them. And it's a, it's a wonderful thing. It's an awesome thing. Think about the person who gave vision to you. Maybe saw something in you that you didn't see in yourself. And maybe it was a coach or a teacher or a parent or a parent-like figure because you didn't have a parent figure dad in your life. I mean, that's what I'm calling all of us to do. Deposit godly wisdom. Deposit inspiring vision. Third thing, right from this verse, that we would deposit timeless truth into the next generation. Man, they need truth. Like nobody wants to help them with the truth. Timeless truth. I see this in this phrase, and hang with me for a moment so that I can develop it, even when he is old. And so the idea here is he will, he or she will not depart from what you teach him. And so that's inherent in this verse. And And so remember, though, we've talked about, we said this last week as we introduced this series, that a proverb is not a promise to claim. If we do that, and some people do that verse, they claim it's a promise to claim. No, it's not a promise to claim. It's a principle to follow. And that's a big difference. Think of a modern-day proverb. I said this in one of the services last week. My memory is forgetting which one. So I'll say it again. The modern day is an ample a day keeps a doctor away. That's not saying that if I eat a piece of fruit, an apple, that I'm never going to have to go to the doctor. Of course it's not saying that. None of us would say that it says that. What is it saying? Well, if you eat a little more fruit, a banana and uh, an apple, I mean, you add a little more fruit in your diet, I think you're going to result in a healthier lifestyle and you're going to be healthier if you develop these habits. Same here, that if we take the timeless truth of God's word and we deposit it in our kids first in ourselves and then in them. Biggest fallacy in the church. I got to start going to church because my kids need it. You need it. 
and I'll say way more than your kids because they want to see how it influences them. And so this proverb idea is that it's a principle to follow. So, so as we look at this, what timeless truth do we need to deposit in this next generation? Like, I just got to be honest, I've been thinking about that all week. I was out in um, South Carolina, and, you know, I just, like, on the plane, I'm like, what, what, what would be the one truth that I would deposit in this generation? And what I came up with, I don't know if it's inspired or not, love. Love. That's what I think it is. It's, it's love. And you say, well, why would you pick that? Well, Jesus said, that's how you'll know that you're his, is how we love each other. That's the proof of how you know somebody is truly a follower of Christ, is how they love. And, and so why or how are we to love? Well, what if we were to think about loving the next generation like this? How about if we love the generation, the next generation, enough to admit when we're wrong? I think that would be a healthy thing. That, that what? The scripture says in Proverbs 28, whoever conceals his transgression won't prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them, they'll obtain mercy. Hey, the next generation just wants to see the reality and the struggles of what life is, that we would be open and honest. How about this? Love the next generation enough to connect, not just correct. I mean, I got this going on in my neighborhood right now. We've got a... Um, we got a basketball hoop on our driveway, and it's a nice, really nice hoop, and all the kids in the neighborhood come to my house to play. And so I'm looking at Jody. I'm like, Who, did you say it was cool for these kids to come over here? And so like all the time, they're, you know, I'm hearing the ball bouncing, and, and so it'll happen this afternoon probably. And, and so I'm laying on the couch, or I'm hanging out, and, 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 and Jody, like, the kids are back. And, and I'm just like, well, so what? And, and then she's like, the hundreds of times that you wanted to force basketball on our girls. And now you've got willing kids in your driveway and you're going to sit on the couch and do nothing. And so I'm like, oh, you're right. And now I could go out there. I could have done it yesterday. And I, one kid in the neighborhood, I could just say, you know what, dude, like you got the curry jersey on, but like, let me help you. I could correct some things in his shot to help him experience a little bit more of what it looks like to become a good shooter. I could correct a lot of things, but that's not my objective. They're not in my neighborhood to, for me to correct them. They want to just use my hoop. And so what am I doing? I, I just want to connect with these kids, man. And I love this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, that you would adopt this verse, that I want to, I'm ready to share the gospel, but he says not only the gospel, but our very lives that yes, we want to deposit truth in the next generation, but will we do it by depositing our lives, who we are, what we're about, by getting, taking the time to get to know them? How about this? Love the next generation enough to be refined by adversity, but not defined by it. If I think of my dad and the generation that he came from, and my parents adopted me when they were pretty old, to be honest, and what happened, why I say that is because my dad is actually, um, he was part of the greatest generation. I mean, he lived through the depression. He, as a little kid, sold apples on the street corner. He went, he was in World War II. My dad was. And I, I mean, that generation learned so much. 
You think about what we're celebrating today. Think about Juneteenth. And what is that about? Well, that's about a freedom that was recognized but not realized until many generations later. I mean, think about how long it took for them to do what? To experience the freedom that was said and even not to the fullest that it could be even today. And so what I'm saying is this, that, that they, they were refined by the adversity, the generations in the past. And, and so what's going to be true of our generation? That, that are we going to be refined by the adversity, by the struggle, so that we can teach and mentor and train the next? I mean, Paul says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. So the trial that we're in, it's a test of faith. Faith. Say it's a test. Say it like you mean it. It's a test. Everything you're going through, that pain, that difficulty, that relationship, it, it's a test that God wants to use to produce steadfastness in you. And then steadfastness is going to have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete. That means spiritually mature, lacking nothing. Hey, love, it's something we got to deposit. How about this one? Two more. Love the next generation enough to replace attitudes of entitlement and privilege with servanthood and thanksgiving. Like I, I, That's what we all need to do. Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourself. How about this? We got two more here. How about this one? This is an important one. Love the je next generation to know, enough to know what hills to die on. I wish that I would have been a better job of this with my own kids. I mean, everything was of equal intensity in the Zappy home. And it's not, it shouldn't be. And so my oldest, she'll point out to me, and she's the one, it's like, because what happens is that when it comes to the oldest, you got the oldest kid, and you die on every hill. Are you, parents? And then the youngest, man, it's just, they just live in a little more grace free environment. And so my oldest daughter would be like, she gets to do what? And, and we're just more willing to not die on that hill. And I wonder if we would just look at the young people that we have the privilege to work with or be around in our neighborhoods, in our homes. And man, what hill is going to be the one you want to die on? I don't know about you, but I'm just going for this kind of influence, John 3, 17 influence, that God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world. I don't want to condemn people. But he did set the son into the world in order that we might be saved through him. And so that leads us to the next one. Love the next generation enough to walk the walk and not just talk the talk. And you know what I'm talking about here, that, that we would just be models of grace and truth in what we do. Paul says... I urge you to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling. Did you hear me, dads? Dad, that you would walk in the manner worthy of the calling. That dads, you would walk with humility. That dads, you would walk with gentleness. That dads, you'd walk with patience. That dads, you'd walk by bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Man, that's the bullseye, dads. That, that, that we would walk the walk and not just talk the talk. Love, that's what we need to deposit, the timeless truth 
God's love revealed through us. That's what we want to love the next generation and how we want to do it. A couple more thoughts as we're working through this verse. Good stuff today? Divine deposit number four. We got to deposit radical reliance. Now, what I mean by this is it's a dependency. And so the last phrase in the verse, it says, so he will not or she will not depart from it. Depart from what? Depart the, from the way, the timeless truth, the wisdom that you've given them. And, and so the only way I know how to do that is by what Jesus says in John chapter 15. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. So you are a branch that needs to be plugged into the vine, the vine of Jesus, that getting nutrients and strength from him. If you don't, you're just a stick. And you don't want to just be a stick that's tossed away that you're a vine, part of the vine. And so the scripture says, abide. Jesus says, abide in me as I abide in you. And that word abide means to make your home in, that you'll depend on God, that you'll take some risks and step out in faith to model to your kids as you depend on Christ. And then he says, Jesus says, hey, guess what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing of any internal significance or value we got to teach this to our kids. One of the things that I'm so thankful for in our home is when our kids made the decision of what school they were going to go to. And so that was a time when Jody and I, we tried to paint a picture and say, hey, let's just not ask God for his blessing after you make the decision. Invite God into the decision. And so God has a will. Did you know that? He's got a will with three aspects. Taught on this before, slow down. God has a sovereign will. God has a moral will. God has an individual will. That's the one I'm talking about. God's sovereign will needs to be trusted. I just need to trust God's will. Hey, read the end of the book. He's in control. We're not thwarting his plan. He does what he wants. That's trusting in God's sovereign will. I've got to obey God's moral will. What does that mean? That I'm going to live according to the way that he wants. We got to teach our kids to trust in his sovereign will. We got to teach our kids to do what? To obey his moral will. How do we do that? By doing it ourselves. And then we got to teach them to to seek his individual will. And that we would experience his individual will. That's what Jody and I tried to do when our kids picked a college and I remember it was crazy. They did it. I remember our oldest, Allie, when she decided, she decided to go to Bethel University in Minneapolis. And so I'm, you know, I'm like, well, how come? And we're we're praying and, you know, what do you want to do? And and, and she's like, well, I'm going to go there because Bethel University, it's a smaller school, 4,000 students, and it's right near Minneapolis. And, you you know, you and mom, you guys both had business degrees. I have a business degree. I'm going to get that. I want to go into a business. I want to work for a big company and, and that Um, city, Minneapolis. I've done my research, dad, and it's got the most headquarters of any company in the area. And I think I can get onto a a big company at their headquarters and through an internship or something. I'm like, I just went to school to play basketball. I don't know about you. I'm like, oh my goodness. And, and then Aaron, our middle daughter, I'll never forget. She was the hardest to read because we're praying and deciding what should she do and where should she go. And she wound up going to Liberty University and they recruited her to uh, jump. Uh, she was a high jumper. 
And so on the way home, I'll never forget, Jody and I were on the plane. I'm sitting next to her, and I couldn't read her. I'm like, do you like this place or what? It's awesome. Like, they're giving you, what's up? This is going to cost me nothing. You're going here. And, 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 and she's like, you know, and then I said, I said, well, what are you going to do? And then she just turns to me, and she just says, well, Dad, I, I've got seven reasons here written down of why I'm going to Liberty University. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then my last one, Emily, she she is an environmental science major. And so we're like, we're business people. We don't know what to do with that. Recycle dad, please. I know, I'm learning. And, and she went to a school, though, that Nebraska that had a program for that. And, and for her, it was more about where not to go. And I just said all that to say, are you teaching your kid to individualize God's personal will? And, and so we need to do what? We need to teach our kids to trust in God's sovereign will and to obey God's moral will and to follow God's individual will for them. And the best way that I would say to do it is to do it yourself. Let them see you trusting in his sovereign will. Let them see you obeying his moral will. Let them see you like just following his individual will. Good stuff? Lastly, it's this. This one, we're going to jump to a few more verses. Deposit everlasting hope in the next generation. We all need hope. Like that's what everybody desires is, man, we just want hope. And so if you look, Solomon's writing these Proverbs. I told you last week, he wrote the majority of them and he wrote 513 of them are in here. And he wrote over 3,000. And then if you skip your eyes down to the verse 17 and 19, if you look at the beginning of verse 19, it, that your trust may be in the Lord. Like, I don't know how to develop hope apart from trusting God for who he is and what he said. And, and so that's how we're to develop hope for ourselves and for our families and for our church. Hey, we've got a lot of kids around. Man, we want the hope of God in them. And so as I think of my dad, I've referenced him a couple times in the service, and I miss him dearly. He's been gone for over 15 years, and I just think about his life, and, and I, I just got to slow down for a moment. I just, like my dad, he gave me hope, and he gave me a hope about who I was. Like he, he and my mom adopted me. Like when I, I wouldn't, I don't know where I would have ended up. He, he, he gave me hope and what I could do. And, and like, I, I mean, it was like whatever I needed and whatever it was, you know, he wrote the check and he, he gave me every privilege and every example. I mean, I was just so fortunate. It, and then it was like how, what I would become. Like, like my dad, just, he was there supporting every decision that I've ever made and, and being verbal about it. And, but my dad didn't give me eternal hope. And, and he didn't give that to me because he didn't have it. Like my dad didn't go to a church like this or he didn't know about an evangelical church. He went to a very, I mean, a church that was way different than this. And, and he thought it was about earning his way to heaven. And now it's about God's love that we can embrace each of us, that there's nothing we can do for it is by grace you are saved through faith, amen? And so there's nothing I can do to earn favor with God. My dad didn't give me eternal hope because he didn't have it himself. But then this is the thing. I, I gave it to him. 
I had the opportunity to tell my dad about who Jesus was and about you don't have to work your way to heaven, that, that it's about a relationship that you can have with him right now. And then God flipped the script, so to speak. Because once I gave my dad eternal hope, then he gave it back to me. What do I mean? Well, I remember when I was graduated from seminary, I graduated from Trinity Evangelical Divinity School up in, after a business career up in Deerfield, and my dad came to the graduation, and my dad never heard me preach. Like, that's one of the things I just think, you know, he never saw me in front of a group of people and, and sharing God's word or doing, like, he just, he never saw that. And so he came to my graduation, and at that time, I was working for a big church, and this church, you know, I mean, it was doing some awesome things for God, and so my dad went to the service. It's the first time he'd ever been at a service like this, and, and, and he saw the pastor preaching, and and then I, I left, and I wondered, what, what, what did he think? And, and then he looked at me, he goes, Ron, I, I get it now, what you're going to do? And I'm like, what, what do you mean? I, I didn't even know what I was going to do right then. And he goes, well, you're going to do this. You're going to, because we were meeting in a, in a warehouse. And so my dad said, you're going to find a warehouse or some kind of building, you know, that was used for something else. And, and you're going to get a group of people. And you're going to be the guy standing up there and, and you're going to open up the Bible and you're just going to teach the people from the Bible. So that's what you're going to do, right? And I'm like, yeah. I mean, he kind of knew it before. I totally grabbed hold of the vision that that's what God was preparing me to do before any of this. And, and so my did this, he influenced me. He, he gave me hope in what God could do and and I don't want to stretch it too far, but I think my dad gave you hope too because if he wouldn't have given me hope, I couldn't have given you hope that you have today that, 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 that we can be used of God in such awesome ways for the next generation. And so this is what we're asking. These are the commitments. If we would just take a minute and review them, these are the de uh, divine deposits. And so what I'm going to do now is I'm going to invite the worship team up. And I want you to uh, focus for a moment because I'm going to ask us all, if you're able, would we all stand together? And so what I want to do is I want to take these divine deposits. And as the worship team comes forward, this is going to be the best part of the service. Because I want to flip these divine deposits and I want to make them divine declarations. Because I'm not just up here saying this for my, you know, for me, I, I'm saying it for all of us. And so what I'm asking you to do is to make these divine declarations that this is what you want to do to the next generation, with the next generation, for the next generation. And then our worship team, aren't they doing a great job? Ethan's right here, awesome, and the team. They're gonna sing a blessing over you because we know that we can't do this. And so the blessing is gonna come right from a song that's written from God's word. And so we want to bless you. But first, I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to make these divine declarations. And so if the dads could just raise their hand. Can dads raise their hand for a moment? Awesome. Come on, be, be thankful. Let's praise God for the dads in the house. So thankful for you. So I'm going to ask that you would lead the way. Everybody else gets a choice if they want to do this to the next generation, but you don't. You have to do this because that's what you were given the opportunity to do. And you're like, well, I've, I haven't been doing a good job. Hey, join the club. That God has got a second chances, is he not? And God, man, he meets us in our greatest points of need. And he wants to do in you what you can't do. 
So I'm going to ask the rest of us to join with the dads to make these divine declarations. So I'm going to say it, and then you're going to, I'm going to say repeat after me, and then you're going to say it, but you're going to say it like you mean it with boldness. Got it? So let's begin. Repeat after me. I will invest godly wisdom. Repeat after me. I will invest inspiring vision. Man, that's what our kids are grasping. That's what they want. They want to see something that you see in them so that you could forge a way for them. Hey, let's make this declaration. Repeat after me. I will invest timeless truth. And I can't think of a better way for us to invest and to live and model the timeless truths of God's word before them. Repeat after me. I will invest radical reliance. That you would do this, that you would lean into God and that you would accomplish what is not ready or you're not desiring to do, but you know that you can only do it by God's strength working through you. And lastly, this is the big one, that we would do what? Repeat after me, I will invest everlasting hope. God, take our declaration, take our, our voices, and as we desire to do these things, let us be reminded that we can't do it without you. And as we proclaim this blessing over this congregation, Lord, may you do the things that we can, I ask in Jesus' name, amen.